this is Mike Linstead, president and co-founder of the Nehemiah Project, and you are listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast, where we replace hopelessness with hope. Well, today we are on episode number two of the character of genuine saving faith, and I'm here with my buddy, Mr. David Grantham. David, how are you doing today? Good, Mike. Well, we went through on the first episode of this, the, let me pull it up here and get my little notes out. The evidence is that neither prove nor disprove one's faith. And, and these were things like visible morality, intellectual knowledge, religious involvement and in active ministry, even, you know, conviction of sin or, or conviction in general. And then we ended with the, the, the time of decision, i.e. making a decision for Christ or just feeling saved, right? And again, these are all things that can be present in genuine Christians, but they can also be present in people who are false converts or not Christians, right? So these were just evidences that didn't prove really much of anything, right? But we see them all the time in cultural Christianity today. Any any thoughts or comments? Yeah, the whole cultural Christianity, carnal Christianity. When someone is, is it always, you meet someone, you're having a good conversation with them, and you think, man, could they be a Christian? The next thing you know, one of the big words comes flying out. <laughs> Or the conversation swings in another direction mm-hmm. that most Christian or a Christian shouldn't be, and you're like, I, I had my hopes up there, but yeah. I guess not, you know. So, or you go on Facebook or Instagram, and oh yeah, you see yeah. the uh, the life. Yeah, it's like my wife Kathy says, I don't have a Facebook page, but I cyber stalk on her Facebook page, and uh, she says you can find out anything you want to know about people on yeah. Facebook. Yeah, you dig around in there for a few minutes, and you'll you'll see. So, so we are going to look today at the proofs of what it means to truly be a Christian, right? Mm -hmm. And these are objective proofs that the Bible itself puts forward. Now, again, I just want to reiterate our primary goal here. Our our primary goal is is definitely not to get you to doubt your salvation. It is absolutely to show you what the Bible itself says about the objective evidences to know that you are saved or to know that you're not. It's not legalism. We're not talking, you have to go down through a checklist here. That's right. Yeah, if anyone that knows me personally or or Dave, like, you know, (laughs) we're not religious to be religious. We're not legalists, right? Like, Indeed. (laughs) It's not a checklist. People that know me definitely know that I have no interest in being a religious person. But there's some identifiable characteristics that all genuine Christians have. They (laughs) manifest themselves and certain ways and some are a little more uh, overt than others but there's that that when you meet someone and you do find out they're a christian you have an immediate bond with that person yeah the conversation flows and you don't really know anything about them but you, there, there's something there why is that because you're both indwelled by the holy spirit amen and you're now heirs to all the things of christ so that's what we're talking about here but typically most of us as christians you meet somebody you're like could it be could it be and you're like oh man mm-hmm. not go not judging by that those words. Yeah. So let's just kind of go over some of those introductory texts so that we can understand, A, that the Bible actually says these things and that we should be testing ourselves, and uh, B, so we can know where to find this information, right? Amen. So again, Jesus says in Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, what day is that? It's the day we meet Jesus. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. 
Jesus himself, again, says earlier on in that chapter, speaking of uh, false prophets, false teachers, that every healthy tree will bear good fruit, but the diseased tree will bear bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. He says, you will know a false teacher by their fruits. And the Apostle Paul exhorts the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. He says this, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. And again, we we did an entire podcast series on that test that he's referring to, and you can find that test or those the components of that test explicitly in the book of 1 John. And just to review, there's two major components of this. Number one is called the faith test. Do you have the correct view of the person and work of Jesus Christ? Like Brother Dave said, Make sure you're worshiping the biblical Jesus, not just because just because someone says, oh, I love Jesus. I worship Jesus. Which Jesus is it? Is it the biblical Jesus? Is it the Islamic Jesus? Because Jesus is in the Quran. Who, what Jesus are we talking about? Right. Amen. Amen. So you have to understand the biblical Jesus. That's the one you must have the correct view of. And the second component is the moral ethic test. Essentially, it's the first, the only two commandments that are the foundation of all of this thing called Christianity, it's do you love God and do you love the family of God? You love other people, right? If you love God and you love other people, that is what First John tells us are, is one of the major components of knowing that you're actually saved. Okay, let's get into the fruits and proofs of authentic, authentic and true Christianity. Number one, love for God, devotion to God's glory, obedient living, and selfless love. Let's start with love for God. Psalm 42, verse 1 through 2 says this about the person who has love for God. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And Psalm 73, verse 25 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. This is the underlying motivation. This is the thought life of someone who is who has been truly saved. That should be their man, mental, your default mental acquiescence yeah. is you love the Lord and you're doing your best to serve him. Yes. I want to do everything to your glory, Lord. And when I right. fail, I repent of it. I turn from it. I make it make amends if, if necessary and if possible because I love the Lord. I want I want to do what the Lord wants for me. You have you have that default starting in your logic and your reasoning. It's it's all it starts with God. Yes. Lord, what do you want for me? Even when you're unsure, you say, Lord, I'm not really sure what I've sh- I should do. You know, should I pursue this career option? Should I pursue this business opportunity? What have you? The Lord may be giving you several answers, and you make that decision. You've you've vetted it through Scripture and through uh, wise counsel, and you say, "Lord, not quite sure." I, you know, you hate to use Christianese lingo, but uh, I have a sense that you're driving me in this direction. Yeah. I'm going to do it. It's for you, Lord. Stop me if I don't. It's just yes. that complete submission to God, yes, and a helplessness that that Lord, I don't want to. I don't want to mess up. I don't want to do anything you don't want me to do because yes. I love you. I need your protection. I need your guidance, Lord. And and I'm gonna. The flip side of that is I'm gonna give you the credit for everything. I'm gonna uh, 
make it very abundantly clear that if this is the direction you want me to go in and it's productive and fruitful, which it will be if God wants you to do it, Mm -hmm. then you're going to get the glory for this. Amen. Amen. And we see this, you know, panning out in Jesus himself. Like, let's just look at, we got a couple of scriptures here, but let's start with John 14 verses 30 through 31. You know, Jesus, I will say this, Jesus did not go to the cross and die primarily for his people. That's very true. Jesus didn't die primarily so that we can get saved. Right. Here's the end. Here's yeah, where I, a, you say, Mike, well, how could you possibly say that? Know, it's so that's, offensive. That's Well, here true. we go. Yeah. John 14, verses 30 through 31. On the night of his betrayal, he says this, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, but he has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Wow. I'm going to die a brutal death, bear the full brunt of the wrath of God because I love the Father. Amen. Amen. Jesus said in John 4, 34 to his disciples when they said, Jesus, you got to eat something, man. I mean, you're talking to this girl at this well and we don't really know what this is all about. You probably shouldn't be doing this. You must be starving. Take some food. And he says this, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's what satisfies me, guys. You have no idea. Mm-hmm. And then he tells them to lift up their eyes and look, the fields are ready for harvest. Pray well, to the Lord of the he harvest. He a very key word there to satisfaction. Yes. You know, what What more can any does any Christian want than to satisfy what God's will is for, for our lives? Be, why? Because we know it's best. Mm-hmm. I want what God wants for my life. I want that. Yes. We say almost on every single podcast that we would just do well to know what God says and do it. And why? Well, Romans eleven thirty six says, for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory. Amen. And Isaiah 43, six through seven says this, that everyone who is called by his name was created for his glory. It's not about you. It's right. about him. Amen. And so again, we would do well to know what God says and do it. Yeah. All right. So the next component of this first section here, besides love for God and devotion to his glory is obedient living, which flows out of these two first things here. And obedient living is very important. And I want to spend a little bit of time on this, Brother Dave, if we can. Gladly. Because (laughs) (laughs) there is a division on the spectrum of of evangelicalism today. And and Mm -hmm. I'll say this. We'll put the on the left-hand side, we've got what some theologians call uh, libertinism or antinomianism. This is the idea that uh, I'm saved uh, by the grace of God, that m- it doesn't really matter how I live because it's all by God's grace anyways, so therefore I can do what I want. No, that is not what the scriptures say. And then on the right-hand side, there is the hyper-legalists that say, you got to get saved by grace, but then work your way to heaven, Bubba. You got to make sure you do the Ten Commandments because God's going to be mad with you if you don't. And they really just get this whole idea of God's discipline totally wrong. And so those are the left-hand and right-hand sides of the spectrum. But what does the Bible say? Indeed. It says we must love God and we must love other people. And here's what Jesus says in John 14, verses 15 through 21. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Mm -hmm. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Yeah. Very, very common out on the street, especially, you know, I spent a lot of time, Kathy and I, and uh, there's a group of about eight or ten of us that go to Southeastern Louisiana University here in, in Hammond, Louisiana, and or over in Hammond, Louisiana, about a half hour from here. And I'll, I, 
hardly a Thursday goes by that we don't have someone who is by their own admission to they have these young people's girls included. They have no problem telling you what their lifestyle is. Mm. You don't have to pull it out of them. Mm. They come at you with it. That are living in an openly sinful lifestyle. And they tell you, I'm a Christian. Well, a couple of verses jump into mind right off the bat. Number one, and just a generality worldview, you're going to live in an overtly sinful lifestyle and call yourself a Christian. And then I want you to take a little trip in your mind and you think of Jesus on the cross mm. with the nails driven through his hands and through his feet, the skin ripped from his back. The Roman form of of uh, execution known as crucifixion was and is one of the most barbaric, torturous, gruesome, painful ways to kill somebody. Mm. He did that for you, and you're going to stand there and say, "No, I'm going to live like this." When the Bible says, "Don't," it's openly. I mean, we're not we're not splitting hairs here on sinful activities. No, no. you know. And Paul, furthermore, <laughs> said, uh, Romans chapter six, verse one: "Shall we continue in sin mm. so that grace abounds?" Heavens, no, certainly not. Right. And then you roll over into First Corinthians chapter six, starting in verse nine. If you are living, Paul makes it very clear that. Corinth, think of Corinth, Greece, if you didn't know that. It was the most debaucherous, sexually illicit, probably city in the known world. It was like Vegas and San Francisco and L.A. And Mardi Gras and Key West and all that tied up on, you know, Fat Tuesday. Yeah. And they had a temple above the, on the hills above Corinth. It was a port city. You had all the sailors coming in and a lot of travelers and so forth. They had a, a, a temple, a religious temple that had over a thousand temple prostitutes, male and female, mm-hmm. that would come down every night into Corinth and ply their trade. There was a saying that said, to live like a Corinthian. Mm-hmm. It was the most debaucherous place on the known earth. So what, in, in a whole, a whole another aspect of looking at, at that is, what better place to go plant a church? Right, right. That's what Paul did. So, first Corinthians chapter six, verse nine, Paul says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunks, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And I want to hold it there for just a very brief second, then we'll finish with the next verse. What he's talking about there, let's be this be very clear, Christian. If a person is living in an overt, unrepentant, public lifestyle of one of these things, in other words, you're not ashamed of it. You're out there, if you will. And if someone has a conversation with you about it and says, oh, you know, you're a Christian, you're not supposed to be living like this, and you're very defensive and antagonistic and you're above them, this is who Paul is talking about versus there may be Christians who are genuinely born again, yet they're warring with these issues, these sinful issues. They're not proud of it. They fight against it. They're struggling against it. They are warring against it. Mm. They're they're ashamed of it. They hate it because it offends God. So you see the difference there. So when I read these verses, do not be deceived. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. People who are living in an overt, unrepentant, public lifestyle of this. They don't care. Anybody knows. But here's the beautiful part. Verse 11. And such... Now, this is being read in the church. You can think of this epistle as your pastor standing up in the pulpit and reading this to you. He goes through those lists of sins and says, these are not Christians. However, verse 11, and such were some of you. Mm. 
but you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. That's where we came from as Christians. Christians are no better than anybody. We're better off because of what Jesus has done for us. Amen. Amen. In John 15, verses 9 through 11, we get a very um, interesting um, saying here or, or instruction from the Lord. Again, on his night before he was going to be put up on that cross, he's continuing this idea of of what real Christian love is uh, as it's you know focused on the Father. It says this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. And he tells them to abide in his love. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Now that word abide is the Greek word meno. And I think as I've studied this passage here, Dave, um, the Greek word meno, you know, it, it can mean, you know, existing in a relation to, right? And so if we want to exist with in the relation to Christ, you know, the love relation to Christ, he's telling us that we, we need to keep the commandments, right? Like, so this shows us that it takes effort. <laughs> it it's, takes It's a effort. spiritual war. It is. We, we have a new nature, but we still have the flesh. It is. And I think that's where so many... Um, newer Christians, right? Coming in through the the mainstream evangelical church, like I did, this is where we kind of get it wrong is we think, because we're taught, well, it's just grace. It's grace. It's grace. It's grace. It's grace. It's grace. Grace doesn't mean that it's a free pass. Romans 6, 1. It's not a free pass to like, you get in the kingdom of heaven, then you just get to do whatever you want. This whole liberty abuse. Yes. Yeah, there's liberty in certain things. There is. Uh, There is, but it's not a license to to, to sin. sin. It's not a license to sin. It's not. But that's how a carnal human being like myself when I first got saved and even now in certain cases, we're going to try to find a way to justify our sin. You see what I'm saying? And you can. It's quite easy. I'm quite good at it. <laughs> yeah. But the Lord no. is using this word meno no. to say, stay in this relationship to me. And this is how you do it, by keeping the commandments just like I did with my father. I did the same thing. And you know what's beautiful about this passage is it produces joy. Obedience to the commandments of God produces joy in the heart of that person who is saved. Mm -hmm. Go read Psalm 119. The guy is just overflowing with happiness about the commandments of God. Mm -hmm. And like when I first came into the faith, I was like, dang, dude, like how is this guy so stoked Mm -hmm. about this, Mm -hmm. you know? But as I've grown in my sanctification, as I've grown... Right. You truly see the value. You truly start to understand, like, wow, I crave obedience to God. Amen. We should. When the Bible says thou shall, what he's saying is, God is, in essence, what he's saying is, this is the best course for your life. Yes. And when it says thou shall not or do not do these things, he's saying avoid this because it's going to cause you great harm. Yes. Don't, don't do this. I know what is best for you. I have your best intention at heart. I'll guide you and I'll point you in the right direction. The last part of this first component here that we have that is showing us the proofs of authentic Christianity is selfless love, selfless love. Mm -hmm. Again, this is um, part of that abiding that Christ was talking about because Christ has given us very clear commandments to do this. And Luke 9, 23 says, if anyone would come after me, 
Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Daily. Daily. Take up the cross. Now, this, in the context, there could have been people hanging on crosses behind him when he was saying this. Well, they knew. I mean, Luke was a historian. Right. So he was very, you know, very exact in his language. And when he said this, uh, you know, to quote Jesus, take up your cross, they knew this. These are the Romans. And the Romans, you know, the fact that Jesus was executed or crucified by the Romans, it's not a big deal to the Romans. They, they did, did this, this all the time. They did this every day. This is commonplace. This is common, yeah. And when Paul or uh, Jesus says, or Luke quotes Jesus, take up your cross daily. Being a Christian comes with a price, friends. It does. And if you're living overtly as a Christian, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean we're all going to be martyred, but it comes with a price. We all see it. You see it every day. Yeah. I have a regular job, and it, you know, I'm not bemoaning anything. It's no big deal, but it it comes with a cost. And if right. we were going to live like this in many countries around the world, it may literally mean we could end up on a cross. The cost, no matter where you're located geographically, is this. When you become a Christian, you lose the right to yourself. You're no longer your own. Right. You've been bought at a price, yeah. That's first willingly slave, yeah. First Corinthians chapter six, verse twenty. You were bought with a price. You're not your own. All these things should ring true to the genuine Christian we're talking about. If it makes you cringe, this could be evidence. Example doesn't mean that you're not saved. It just it could be pointing out some sin in your heart in your life, right? I mean, look, we are being made into the image of our our Creator, right? right? So that's why we're doing this podcast. So selfless love is the last portion here of the first component of a genuine Christian, right? I'll just recap those again, just just so we, we've got it in our mind, because we're going to move into this, the final part here. But the first four were love for God, devotion to God's glory through obedient living and selfless love. Okay, so let's move on to the final component. We've got six different things here that we're going to discuss that's going to culminate in the final one, which is a transformed life. Because ultimately, that is the miracle. It's a transformed life. First part, a lifestyle of repentance from sin. It's a lifestyle. Repentance is not a one-time act, and we're going to get into that. Followed up through continual prayer to God and genuine humility, which is shown through separation from the world and a continuous desire for God's word, a hunger for God's word, which results in spiritual growth and a transformed life. Yep. So this is it. right? The seed that is planted in the heart, which is the word of God, does grow up and produce fruit. Right? So, a lifestyle of repentance from sin. Proverbs 28, 13 says this, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. And King David in Psalm 32, verse 5 says of his own sin, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You know, those are excellent one of the red flags, certainly yellow, if not red, when one Christian has a, a, a gentle conversation with someone else who proclaims to be a Christian, a respectful, gentle conversation, and says, you know, the lifestyle you're living or what you're doing now, that's sinful, man. That's, mm. The Bible says, as Christians, we're not supposed to be doing that. And if the person that you're talking with responds in the, with an attitude of defense and defiance, well, you don't do that. You think you're perfect. Hey, we love each other. She doesn't have anywhere else to live. Mm. You know, you've never done this. Man, that is a pretty, that's a substantial indicator. We we might have us a 
false convert here, mm-hmm. how people respond to rebuking, being rebuked, or even just gentle corrected, mm-hmm. gen- generally uh, gently being corrected with regard to their specific sin is very telling. Yeah. Yes, it is. Um, or we again, they we want to hold on to our sin, and we drift towards that. Right. Of course we do. We, we learned that yeah. at the uh, men's retreat that we were at a couple of weeks ago. It's like we drift towards sinfulness, right? Well, we have a sin, of, still have the flesh. We have a new nature. Yes. But we still have the flesh. Unredeemed humanness, as yes. Pastor MacArthur calls it, right? Yes. yes. It's, it's this unredeemed humanness, right? So so again, red or maybe yellow flag, right? I like that because, yeah. you know, it, hey, it doesn't necessarily mean this guy's not saved. It just means he really loves his sin. He doesn't want to give it up. Maybe he'll give it up if we continue to show him the love well, and continue people, to use the scriptures. If you see a lifestyle of that, you know, the, there's that old Baptist or whatever saying, oh, he's just backslidden. Well, may never have slid forward in the first place. <laughs> That's very true. Know? All right. So the last thing I want to say on this is like, what does it really mean to confess? It simply means this, to agree with God's diagnosis of sin Amen. and his diagnosis of you and me. Amen. A sinner in need of salvation. Okay. First John 1, 8 says this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, i.e. if we say what God says about our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. What wonderful all. news. Yes. He is faithful and just. Just meaning Christ paid for that. So God will honor that payment. You see this. This, the salvation thing uh, topic is all smothered in legalese, in, in, in judicial legalese. Right. Guilt, criminal, justice, judge, judgment. Mm-hmm. It is. We're spiritual criminals. But God yeah. is so rich in his mercy that as the verse you just quoted there, um, he, he is faithful, he, yes. he, meaning he will do this. Yes. But he's also just. Yes. There's a legal transaction that takes place when the sinner... Uh, genuinely it repents and turns from their sins. A legal transaction takes place. Judge Jesus takes his robe off. He comes down to where the accused is standing and says, "I'm going." The evidence is overwhelming. We can all see it. You are as guilty as imaginable. Right? There's no denying this. And you're standing there with your head hung low, one step away from hell. And Judge Jesus says, "Not only am I the one who has found you guilty. Not only am I the judge. Now." I'm going to pay the fine for you. Mm. And I did that on the cross. You're free to go. Wow. See, you've got to have someone pay the fine or it wouldn't be justice. Right. Jesus paid that fine. Then that legal transaction has taken place. Jesus has paid your fine. Uh, justice has been met. You're now legally free to go. Oof. Not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. Oh, man. Reminds me of all the times I stood in the courtroom. <laughs> Well, let's move on to the second portion of this last component. And and this is com- continual prayer and genuine humility, which really go hand in I'm hand. I'm proud of my humility. What about you? <laughs> I'll ask people that a lot of times when I know pair of preaching, just, you know, it's like, do you consider yourself to be humble? Yes, I do. Are you proud of your humility? I am. <laughs> All right. Yeah, That's have a little fun. So but anyway, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I digress, right? Yeah. All right. So Paul simply says in first Thessalonians about prayer, he says this chapter five, verse 17, pray without ceasing period. Okay. So if your idea of prayer is on my hands and knees praying, there is a time for that. And there of absolutely course. is. 
But if that's what you think prayer only is, only, you no. can't do this commandment. So that's no. not what prayer only is. Let's just kind of just for time's sake say this. Prayer is the communion with God throughout your entire day. Continuously. Continuously, without ceasing. Amen. And that, that sometimes is this. I verbally express my prayers out loud so that there's an audible component to it. Or it's an inner dialogue or inner monologue, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you're not talking to yourself, mm-hmm. but you're talking to God. It's that inner dialogue, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes we have an inner monologue. We talk to ourselves. I wanted to say that so you guys understand what I'm really getting at. It's like we talk to ourselves all the time. There's like this inner voice constantly. Mm-hmm. Well, that inner voice is projected upwards towards God, if you will. Yep. This there is praying go. without ceasing. It's a constant conversation with the Lord. Indeed, always. So, and it, it prayer, I love this definition of prayer. Uh, Paul Washer recommended a book by D. Edmund Hybert called Paul Working... Paul Washer. Paul, Paul Washer, Washer, yeah. Uh, Heard of that guy? <laughs> <laughs> you talk about a guy that'll humble you. Yeah. I just I, want to get saved again every time I hear him preach. I know, I know. His story is amazing too, but he yeah. recommended a book called Working with God Through Prayer by D. Edmund Hybert. And it's the best book I've ever read on prayer and it's helped huh. me tremendously. Um, you should definitely pick it up. You haven't picked it up, Dave. It's amazing. You've seen my prayer life, huh? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I heard a little bit, but I'll I'll, I'll take it. He, um, he the the author of that book <clears throat> defines prayer like this: prayer is asking divine omnipotence to work through yielded human weakness. Mm-hmm. Prayer is asking divine omnipotence to work through yielded human weakness. Yielded human weakness can only genuinely happen out of humility. Mm-hmm. You, Paul, as Paul Washer would say. And I, t- I definitely agree with this is biblical for sure. God is not that interested in showing you how great you are. In fact, he's not interested in that at all. He's interested in showing you your true condition and your true condition. And my true condition is we can do nothing apart from him. Amen. We're absolutely helpless, like little infants. We can do nothing without God. We can't even breathe without him giving the breath. When, when we paint pride in that context, it's really quite silly, right? Mm-hmm. That's why James says in verse four through six, he says, God opposes the proud, but, but gives grace to the humble. Absolutely. That grace. was the Yitrung, rich young ruler. Indeed. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let him go. He was proud. Let him go. Wow. What a, that's a good insight there. And it's so true that God opposes the proud because it's ridiculous. And it's an affront to God's holiness. It's an absolute affront to God's holiness. If we need any example let us go to Ezekiel chapter 28, shall we, Dave? Ezekiel t- chapter 28, verses 12 through 19, give us the, the what's the word for this? The antitype, the archetype, I should say, of pride, i.e. Satan. Yeah, Here's what it this says. This is how you build it. This is how you define it. Here we go. It says this. You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God, and every precious stone was your covering. And crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. And you were blameless in your days from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O garden cherub, O, gar- o guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground and exposed you before kings so that they could feast their eyes on you. 
by the by the multitude of your iniquities in the unrighteousness of your trade you profaned your sanctuaries so i brought fire out from your midst and it consumed you and i turned you to ashes on the earth and in the sight of all who saw you all who know you among the peoples are appalled at you and you have become a dreadful end and shall be no more forever speaking of when god throws him into the lake of fire at the end the consummation of all things but we see this it says that Satan, who this is a description of, we can clearly tell by some of these descriptors here. It says that he was proud because of his beauty and corrupted his wisdom for the sake of his own splendor. We can go to Isaiah 14. It's another portion of scripture where it will tell you about the famous I wills. God, not, not God, Satan said, I will make myself like the most high. I will make my throne even higher than his. And he goes on to say all these things. That is that is the archetype of pride. Indeed. I Indeed. will be my own God. And how does that manifest itself out in the unsaved person? I'll bow the knee to nobody. That's I'm right. a good person. If there's a heaven, God would surely let me in. Right. Jesus, in Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12, describes for us what genuine humility the, looks like. The Beatitudes. Like. The Beatitudes. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Wow. You want to know what genuine humility looks like? Let's memorize those verses there. Amen. And then let's put them into practice. So getting to the end of this podcast here, we've got three more things to talk about, which are fruits of authentic Christianity. The remaining ones are this, separation from the world, hunger for God's word and spiritual growth, which manifests itself in a genuinely transformed life. Separation from the world. Here's what James has to say about it in chapter four, verse four. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And one John chapter two, verses 15 through 17 says, do not love the world or the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Any comments on this idea of being set apart? Well, it, it is a big deal. It's a very big deal. You know that old saying, well, he's, he or she, they're just caught up in the world. It's Sometimes it's tangible. Sometimes it's not. Uh, it's intangible. But you you see people and you see they're so caught up in the world system. You go to Facebook, people that claim to be Christians. And again, you got to have some liberty here and there. I, I get that. I'm not trying to be a legalist. I'm not. But you see, man, they're so caught up in the world and the worldly things and the world stuff and the world's value system. So as Christians, we sh- it should be notable, noticeable, very noticeable that we're a little different. Yes. Not goofy or weird. They may think that of us. But we're we're not in the world. We're not going by the world's uh, track. We're right. not going to do that on a lot of things. Some things we do. The world, it's fine. But 
the, there's some things that, you know, again, I like what Ray says, Ray Comfort says with his million dollar bill to be successful. The world says you got to be rich or famous. Yeah. Okay. Well, you're a Hollywood actress or female or lady, ladies. Think about that. Your whole identity is caught up in your physical beauty. Well, guess mm-hmm. what? One day you're not going to be physically beauty, right. physically beautiful guys right. the same way. So if your identity is in that, what happens when you lose that? Right. You know, that's what the world says. As long as you have something to provide us, we will give you worth. Mm. And your esteem is is locked into that. That's not what Christ says. The foot of the cross is even, and, and, and the, land, the ground is even at the foot of the cross. Jesus Christ is an equal opportunity Savior. When we get <laughs> saved, our physical characteristics are, we don't get saved based upon our physical characteristics. We get saved in spite of those. Because we can be very prideful in how we look, how we carry ourselves, how we how we present ourselves to the world. It can be a fancy car, a big house, mm-hmm. you know, make a million dollars a year. And in and of themselves, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's you, people are so locked into the world. Just look at social media. Yeah, yeah. You know, the rate of suicide has gone through the roof. That's right. Because people present their best uh, life now on social media and in particular, young people look at that and go, well, I want to be like that. And I want to be, girls say, I want to be thin and beautiful like her. No, Christian, your value and your worth is in your relationship with Christ. Amen, amen, amen. amen. So being separate from the world is, in fact, a proof that you are authentically Christian, that you have been saved. And also a, a genuine desire for God's word, like a hunger, of course, for the word of God. Here's what one Peter chapter two verses two through three say about this hunger. It says he says it should be like a newborn infant. He says like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, you want it. You want to know more of the Lord. You want to be around Christians. It's it's not optional. It's a natural proclivity, a bentness, a default that you have. A genuine Christian has. I want to know more of the Lord. Yes, it's like eating food. Like that's not an option, right? Like sure, you can fast or whatever, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) unless you want to die, you're going to eat food. It's literally the same thing with your Christian life. Like. Unless you want your spiritual life to die, you better eat the word. Yeah. You better eat it up, man. And you better apply it to your life. Yeah. Now, I know I'm sounding pretty hard here, but that's the seriousness. No. What are you, 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 your spiritual life is in a decline. You've fallen into some sin. And we're talking soundly saved people here. Yeah, okay? yeah. You've fallen into some, you're going through a season and it's not a good one. Okay, let's go back to basics. Number one, are you reading your Bible every single day without failure? No, man. Probably I not. Done that. Prayer. We've covered that. Well, are you I doing that do every that. day? Right? Right. Number three, are you doing, are you, are you exercising your spiritual gift? Oh, man, I'm so busy, though. Like, I got this, I got well, that. Well, it's because you're caught up in the world. There we go. We need to start shedding some things. Some things need to be load shedded. You know, I fly big jets, and mm. if we have an, uh, one of the alt, uh, generators fails on one of the engines, we have an automatic function that load sheds. Because now wow. we only have one generator running, and that one generator can't handle the electrical demands for the entire aircraft. So it automatically load sheds mm. because if it doesn't, it's going to burn that one up. Wow. Right? So when we find ourselves in that season, you need to load shed some of the world, man. I like that. And get back to the basics. Reading your Bible, prayer, exercising your spiritual gift, hanging out with Christians, sitting under good preaching and teaching. Yes. I love that. The genuine desire and hunger for God's word is an evidence that you are in fact saved. 
And this obviously leads to spiritual growth, right? Getting in the word and applying it to your life by the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within you leads to spiritual growth. Here's what John 15 verses one through eight say. And this is, I think, self-explanatory after I read this. I don't know if we have to say a whole lot about this. It says this, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Remember this in the context, Judas had just been dismissed, right? A branch was taken away, right? Just so you guys listening out there understand a little bit of the context. This is what his disciples would have just realized. Here's what he says to reassure them. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Abide. That means that's where you exist at. Yes. Abode is your home. Yes. Abide in. You rest in your... This is your default, you know, geographical, physical location. Yeah. I'm abiding in Christ. Yes. And you feel distance from, from the Lord. He hasn't moved. <laughs> <laughs> no, he has not. It's you Praise and I. God. Praise God. And, and lest we think this is some like esoteric, super spiritual thing, Jesus tells us what it means to abide. In the last verse there, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide yeah. in you. Right. Ask whatever you wish. What a promise. You you can't, a, a genuine Christian cannot remain biblically ignorant no. and illiterate. You can't. We are perhaps as soon as we get saved, never read a Bible in our life, open it up. And the typical response is, wow, it's like this thing is alive. Yes. That's the typical response. And then we've got, that's, that's the food. That's the fuel is reading God's word. Right. You want to hear from God? You read his word. You want to hear God out loud? You read his word out loud. Amen. Right. So that's that's what we have to understand is that all these things flow together that we've mentioned, you know, the hunger for God's word and spiritual growth. They ring all this that we've talked about on part one and part two here today, uh, mm-hmm. part two today. This should ring true to the general, to the Christian. Yes. It just kind of rings true. The love for God, the devotion for his glory through obedient living and selfless love a lifestyle of, of repentance from sin with continual prayer and genuine humility and separation from the world coupled with hunger for his word and spiritual growth produces a transformed life. Second Corinthians five seventeen. if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Oh, absolutely. It's it. That's why it's called born again. Converted, regenerated, salvation. This is the new birth. It's such a radical change in the person's life that it can only be described as you're not overhauled, you're not repaired, you're not tuned up, you're fixed. It is as if the old you died and there's this new you born again. Those are descriptors. And when you become a Christian, 
in, in, Paul is very clear here. Remember, he's back in Corinth to those Christians, the, the debaucher, most debaucherous city in the world. If anyone, that covers everybody. If you're a Christian, who? Anyone is in Christ. He is a new creation. I've created some, uh, Jesus has created something new. There's a brand new creation. Yeah. Again, not repaired, not fixed, not overhauled. It's a new creation. The old, everything, your old nature, your old habits. Now, it takes a while to clean up a lot of our lives when we become Christians. But that old stuff, it's passed away. It's just passed away. It's dead. Mm. And what does behold mean? When Mike walks in a room, and I'm going to introduce him to my friends, I don't go, behold, Mike Linstead. <laughs> this this is what he's talking about here. I go, hey, this is my buddy Mike. Yeah. Okay. So that word behold is your hands are going up. It's an exclamation. I want everybody's attention. Yes. Every This is important. Everybody look at this. I want everybody's attention. I want your eyes on this. Behold, this person, the new has come. Yes. That's wonderful. And you may ask yourself, well, what are we being made for? Well, let me finish this podcast by telling you what the point of all this is. I'll start from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'll I'll read verse 50, and then I'm going to jump over to Revelation 21. Here's what Paul says. I tell you this, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Amen. We are being remade for a very particular reason. Here's what Revelation 21 says is going to happen at the at the end of this thing called time and space. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Amen. Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Verse twenty, Chapter 22 rather says this, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city of God, and also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign with him forever and ever. Y'all, this is not advice on how to live a great life. This is uh, not advice at all, in fact. This is the word of God that tells us why we have been created, what we are to do with with this thing called life, and why it's important because of where we're going. Now, that's what I just read to, to all of you is where those who are the servants of God will be going. If we don't come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ here and now, like right now in this life here on earth, then we will receive 
the just penalty for that decision, which is eternal death, which is the wrath of God experienced forever in perpetuity, never ending. And it is terrifying to understand that. And so it is Dave's prayer, my prayer, the prayer of every genuine Christian, that if you are not saved, that you would hear the word of God, that you would believe it, repent from your sin and turn unto Jesus Christ. Amen. We hope that these two podcasts have helped you understand your faith more and have given you some objective tools to really analyze yourself in the light of scripture. We thank you for listening to another episode of the Nehemiah Project Podcast, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Nehemiah Project Podcast. For more resources about addiction recovery, suicide prevention, and overcoming other life-controlling issues, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and visit our website, tnproject.org. If you or someone you love is struggling, don't hesitate to reach out to us by calling 985-205-3022.